0: John chapter 20, we We've we praised Mary Magdalene last week, by the way, for those listening online who always say, we we miss hearing whenever um, Albert Lemons is not here, he's not here today, so we don't have a mic on, on him, and we thought about giving a mic to a couple of others, but frankly, we don't trust them, so no, no, no. you can ask the questions, and as you know, I'll repeat them. John twenty. We talked about Mary Magdalene last time and how amazing she was, and and what that story tells us about men, women, and God's view. We're in uh, chapter twenty, verse twenty. I'm sorry, verse nineteen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and once again we we cover this, but I want to make sure if you're using a version of the Bible other than the NIV. Particularly, I use the NIV, the 2011 version. Um, it is, and I'm, The other versions are great, so don't get me wrong. That's not where we're going. Some of them might say, for fear of the Jews. And the NIV people add a gloss here. Jewish leaders. Because people have misread John and others as anti-Jewish rather than anti-the ruling class at the time. Um, think of it this way you know whenever France didn't let you know this happen or that you know what what happens in America goes nuts and they're not french fries anymore they're they're uh, what freedom fries I think they called them and they get all say you know oh they wouldn't let us fly over for this that and the other and we don't like the French please remember you're talking about the government not the people you know people are quite nice whenever I've gone through France if you just talk to a even a Parisian, they were very, they couldn't wait to help you. It was very nice. When we talk about the Jews, we're not anti-Semitic. They are our older brothers and sisters in the faith. Jewish leaders is what is intended. And his readers would have understood, tragically, in the medieval times, we did not. So, Jesus came in, into a locked room. Now, let's talk about this for a little bit. Not the locked room. That's, that's, to me, not impressive. Not impressive that Jesus can go through a locked door. I mean, Come on, he's Jesus, right? He, he invented wood. So I, he pretty much knows how to do this. Understand, the apostles ran away. The last time that they saw him was in the rearview mirror as they got out of Dodge. They are now locked in a room afraid when he told them he would see them in Galilee and to go to Galilee, they didn't. They are, now it's very possible, they were afraid it wasn't safe to get into the streets. And, and they would have had a very valid point there because there were still the mobs. Uh, there were Roman soldiers and there were the mobs in the streets. There were those mobs that were... Gener- um, um, grassroots and then there were those that were ginned up by the the Jewish leaders the Pharisees the scribes the high priest um, and the like could have been that but as he steps in he doesn't say you ran away from me he doesn't say where were you he doesn't say you wouldn't even pray with me the night before you kept falling asleep he doesn't say it. what does he say same thing he's, God said when Jesus was born is god a seethingly angry individual well no is that the way he is portrayed oh yeah billy sunday anybody remember the name billy sunday that was an american phenomena if you do in the early days of national radio billy sunday became a phenom he was everybody knew who he was He was an angry, dramatic, over-the-top preacher. And he would talk about that God holds sinners like a handful of worms over a frying pan and drops them in and laughs when they sizzle because they've turned from God. And a whole lot of people grew up with that vision of God then. And it is blasphemous. It is complete blasphemy. We, we accepted um, Plato's concept of hell and worked it into the medieval church. That was wrong. We turned God into a bully that wanted to kill us, but Jesus jumped in in between us and took the blow, and God says, well, all right then, as long as somebody died. That's what we have presented. It is not the truth. Jesus walks into a room full of very frightened individuals who have let him down and says, peace. God appears in the sky through the angel chorus saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And what was the most, I've done this a dozen times, so you you better know the answer. What was the most common given command through the mouth of Jesus Christ? Fear not. I am. Um, we, we sing a song here that I, I drop out of a couple lines and I think you're allowed to sing it it's not a sin to sing it I just don't like the theology and on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied no that's not exactly what Hebrews and Romans is saying I put in I wish they changed it to the love of God was realized because this is not somebody has to die, this is somebody has to defeat death. And Jesus did. The theological term for that is Christus Rex, uh, Jesus the king, because he has now defeated death on our behalf. So we are no longer afraid. And that's why as soon as you see him, he says peace, but he also shows him the wounds. He shows him I got this. You can be. You can go through all of this, and you're not going to die. I beat death. Death was the greatest weapon the devil ever had. Please remember this. Death is tied to the clock. You understand this? The passage of time and death. When my father passed, I did not think it would rattle me. It actually has rattled me now, now much more than then, because I see his hands, and I look in the mirror and see his face, and I remember how he passed, and I'm going... You know, we do that. You have you know, almost no time. I was wrestling with my grandsons yesterday for a while. And then I said, and we're done. And, I, and I'm glad I have grandsons that, that immediately said, okay. Uh, and they, they do something else. It was okay. There's, there's only, yeah, have you ever, ever wrestled with your kids and say, we better stop this before somebody gets hurt? You mean you. Right? But, uh, then I had to stop wrestling with my son when he was about eight massive man so he is Uh, and I hope it was okay that I shared the poem I know that was a big hunk of time but most people don't know those words and I think it's so valuable to leave that kind of direction for your children Um, anyway moving on peace as the father has sent me I am sending you so wait 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 a minute is God on board with this peace toward man thing yeah He's got on board with this peace on men who have disappointed me a lot. Yes. He said, I'm, I'm just doing what my father's doing. That was the whole message of Hebrews, was it not? They walk together. They are the same. And thence with this he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Starting next Sunday, Lord willing, we will start a limited series on the Holy Spirit. Looks like it's going to run about six weeks. Uh, we have a, uh, two guest speakers in between that will not be speaking on the Holy Spirit, so it will be stretched out over the next two months, just to let you know, starting in November, uh, our series that will take us November all the way through December is Advent and the Parables, This Changes Everything. We'll look at the parables through the prism of the Advent. I don't think I've ever heard that done before, but we're going to have fun doing it. Um, Excited for that time. Anyway, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. Can Jesus give you anything greater than that? So it wasn't like, all right, peace be with you, but I'm not going to trust you with a whole lot right now. In fact, look at what he says next. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. We have a mission. We're supposed to be like Jesus, which means we're supposed to be offering forgiveness everywhere we go. We're supposed to be, because if we don't, who will? He's not saying, if you don't like them, we're not going to like them. Like middle school girls at a lunch table. No, that's what he's saying. You're the lower lights. You, if you don't forgive them, they're not going to get forgiven. You've got to get out there. You've got to be the Jesus out there. I remember all the time growing up, I was told you might be the only Bible some people ever read. Did you hear that one? Or you might be the only Jesus they'll ever meet. I didn't quite understand the concept until I started reading the Gospels over and over and realized what that means is if we don't get to them and forgive them, they don't get this. We gotta get to them. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, just means the twin. Um, but by the way, Thomas means twin as well. And so they're just throwing out two different terms they moved within different languages kind of like switzerland does you know you don't speak swiss you speak german french italian or romanche i think is the other language that i'm I'm told Um, so he says if you don't know this term it means this one of the twelve was not with the disciples when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord but he said to them unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's talk a minute. Um, It's predictable where I'll go here if you've heard me talk about Thomas before. But before I go there, I'd like to talk to you about another sermon. A sermon which was very popular back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Preachers copy sermons, by the way. Right after we started our series on, on Hebrews about five chapters in, uh, a whole bunch of other churches dead because they listen. Now, it's all right. I, I steal everything I've got, probably. Um, it's, it's all open source software here. We can all grab it, right? And I got an email, um, I think this morning, maybe last night, saying that she noticed that a friend of mine was starting a series on Hebrews today at their church. And I said, he, he's smart. He's going to do it his own way. Don't worry. That said, people share them. One of the most famous examples of this is the Hardiman Tabernacle Sermons. Anybody heard of the Hardiman Tabernacle Sermons? You ought to. The Churches of Christ were such a big deal in Nashville that they took over the Ryman Theater and for a series of, I don't know, was it a week or two weeks, N.B. Hardiman stood and delivered the basics of the faith as seen by us and all the lines and lanes therein. It actually happened twice. And one of the things you gave young preachers was the volumes of, I can't remember, it was two or three volumes of Hardiman's Tabernacle Sermons, because you remember the Ryman uh, was a, was something-something Tabernacle Church back in the day. So, you know, we got that going for us. But one of uh, Hardiman's things he would always do in a sermon is at one point address the balcony and the people in the balcony. Stories told of a, a Fried Hardeman preacher student who was preaching a little church of about 30 in Rehoboth, uh, Tennessee, and at one point it looked up and addressed the balcony. They, there was no balcony. He had just memorized the sermon. That kind of thing happens. There was a sermon so popular in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s called the First Sunday Night Service. And it was about Thomas, I'm just going to cut to the end, Thomas doubted because he didn't go to church when he was supposed to be at church. Because this was Sunday night and everybody else was gathered. But if you don't gather with the other Christians when they gather and they gather on Sunday night, you could be left out like Thomas as a doubter. You could possibly misuse the Bible more than that, but you'd break a sweat I wanna ask you, why were they locked in the room? Do you remember why they were locked in the room? For fear. Who wasn't afraid? Or even afraid, took on the mission of getting food? Thomas. In fact, if you look in scripture, Thomas is the toughest one and least afraid. Now Peter sometimes wasn't afraid because he wasn't thinking the equation through. So let's, let's put him to the side. But Thomas, for example, when Jesus was heading into Jerusalem, and they were saying, wait, wait, weren't they just trying to kill you there? When they saw his face, they quit arguing with him, and it was Thomas who stood and said, let us go die with him. He never gets any credit for this. I would submit to you that Thomas merely said what everybody would have said, and the apostles, did the apostles believe that Jesus was resurrected? No. The women tell, told them, yes, they went to see for themselves, yes, they're still locked in a room. They didn't believe until Jesus showed up either. Thomas walks in, there's Jesus, now he believes. Why do people kick Thomas? In fact, it gets even more interesting. Thomas has said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe You might say, that sounds really over the top. It is. That's the way they cursed. You know, over here, all you have to do is do 500 permutations of the F word, and the sentence, the paragraph makes no sense at all until you remove all of those. You know, uh, did you ever read comic? This all throws together, people. I'm not running around. Keep with the thread. Did you ever read comic books when you were a kid? And some words are Bold suddenly and others were underlined and others were italic. Very often I thought the wrong ones but anyway it was like this. That was that's all that the F word is anymore in America is trying to stagnate In fact there are some immigrants that have launched an American cursing comedy bit about how if you remove this word it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence at all. So what's the word? In Semitic cultures, the only curse words they've got are those that they have brought in from other cultures. Like French and American are the big two. Most of the time, it's like little Jimmy Dickens, I think it was, may the bird of paradise fly up your nose. It's that kind, that's cursing. You know, may the fleas of a thousand camels infect your armpits. Something like this is cursing. So when when Saddam Hussein's people walked out and said, this will be the mother of all battles. They knew it was hyperbole, but that's how, that's how they kind of strut. And it's kind of like watching Maoris. Have you ever watched Maoris do their dance? And there's a whole lot of the stomping and the whacking and the sticking the tongue out and all the other, and that's supposed to terrify the enemies, and I'm, I'm good with that. That's their way of cursing. Thomas is really just going, all right, and he goes over and above. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. The doors are locked. You ever been disappointed with people? This is, come, come on people. Now, it's easy for us, right? Because we have the Bible. It hadn't been written yet. We got 2,000 years of great heroes of the faith showing us, ah, oh, we're going to leave here and we're going to do a great thing. They didn't have any of that. So... I'm going to tell you right now, had it been me, I'd probably have been locked in a room too. I would love to think I was Thomas. Jesus came, stood among them, and, and said, are you insane? I told you to go to Gallup. No, he didn't. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And that's therefore, forever he's been called Doubting Thomas. I don't know why we don't have Doubting Peter, Doubting James, Doubting... Because all the others were still doubting, and they understood Jesus was resurrected, but not enough to get him out of a locked room. Thomas is also the first one to refer to God, to Jesus, the risen Lord, as my Lord and my God. Mary, who last week we showed her faith was superlative, self-sacrificing, very risky. She's an amazing hero. She called him teacher, Rabboni. It is Thomas who calls him Lord and God. We often, when we were kids, we told to dare to be a Daniel. I think we ought to tell our kids, dare to be a Thomas, dare to be a Mary Magdalene. That really frightened me. Let's We want you to be just like Mary Magdalene, post-meeting with Jesus. Post-meeting with Jesus. Uh, The redeemed version, 2.0. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now that is always written as if it's talking about us. But it's in past tense. There were heroes already out there who believed, including the women. They, there were already people, he's basically telling the leaders, it's time to catch up with your people. I fly about working with elderships, shepherd groups, whatever you want to call them, have for decades, and most of the time now I'm trying to bring them here, and we do it on the quiet, we don't tell you who and why, because some people don't like our church, and if they knew their leaders were coming here, it'd be difficult, so we do that. Uh, But when I fly and work with them, one of the things that I see almost all the time is the elders are the ones who are fearful the people are wanting to move. they're, They're fearful of what? Generally, a small cadre of their members. And as long as that small cadre is happy, then we're faithful. And I've told many of them, you should change the sign out front. Or leave the Church of Christ thing on it, but underneath, just put keeping the Smiths happy 47 years. Kind of like McDonald's used to do with the billions and billions. They used to actually keep a running tally. Uh, as Jerry Seinfeld said, why are we doing this? Are, do we want the cows to look at that and go, well, we might as well give up? You know, it seems that I, I thought it was one of his better bits. Now, those are billions and billions served. Are we here for God or are we here? for the ones that would have caused Israel to die in the wilderness and wait till the next generation raise up. If you're in a church where you have to wait until the doubters die, you're gonna die with them. It's just the way it is. And yet it's terrifying to me that the leaders of of many churches, I was in um, email back and forth with one this week, which has just been going from one dysfunction to another, once again, saying, who are the fearful in this congregation? Help it, trying to help them understand it's them. And because they're feer- fearful, the people are going out the doors. They're just going out. The sad thing is, to them, it's, if, it's not the right people, so they're okay so far. You know, it's, if you don't understand that, in our religious tribe, for the very longest, if you left us to go to another, it was because you were weak not because the church was in need of changing, Uh, and that's just sad. Moving on, we did have one of our own elders in Rochester, will not say his name, here or in private, who left the eldership mad at our church because we were getting too liberal on a couple of things, and we here at Fourth are more progressive than they ever were, or are to this day. The elder left, took his family to a denominational church across town that had women preachers in a band, and I'm going, Really what he was saying was, i got to get out of here because I'm afraid. Um, There were people back then that were not afraid, that are nameless. Remember Hebrews 11? I wasn't here for that Sunday, but Will preached it, and, and it was a great sermon. We don't even have the names, it says, of all of these people who suffered like this. We don't even know their names, but he knows their names. The quiet heroes. bet you do too. Some of you have had, I'm going to go very sexist here because it seems to run through women. Um, Great moms, great grandmamas, great grandmama, uh, aunts who taught you and shaped you around the faith. Like Timothy. Timothy was a Christian because of his mom and his grandmother. Uh, You have those heroes, yet who else knows their names? Uh, There's a massive graveyard in Scotland called the necropolis, city of the dead. It's a tourist thing. People go to see the monuments, kind of like you do in New Orleans, except there it's because all the graves are above ground, but here it's because of all the great plinths and columns, and you can read, you know, the the great people of history, the engineers and the politicians. But I like to walk through and notice how many names you don't know, because you don't know most of them. Back in the day, look at this thing. And and some of them will even say, this stone was raised by public subscription. What that means is that they were so important, they went to the community and said, give us money to make a monument to this great man. And they did, and now they're dead, he's dead, and we don't have a clue who he was. We don't have the names of the heroes in the streets, but there were already people who believed and were on the move. I find that very comfortable because it fits with everything else Jesus and scripture says. Remember when Elijah told God, I'm hiding in the cave because I'm the last one left. And God goes, there are thousands just over there that haven't bowed their knee. Jesus looks at the very smug religious people of the day and says, my father has sheep and other pastures you don't know about. Always trust when you can't see what God is doing, that, that's the way it's always been. He's doing. Before we showed the movie on a Friday night here recently, did you know that Iran was home to the fastest growing church movement on the planet? Led almost entirely by women? Interesting. And wonderful. It is a complete break, this next paragraph, and then we get back to the story. So before I do that, do you have anything to say with all the ramblings, or do you want to go off on a tangent of your own? Yes, Tim. Ooh, brilliant question, brilliant question. Uh, I had said the Holy Spirit was the greatest gift he could give us. Tim correctly said, I could amen every sentence he said, that free will is given to us by God, and yet we sin with it. And sometimes we say, why would you give somebody like me free will? Look what I've done with it. Free will is an amazing gift. Uh, And in fact, I believe he had to give it to us. Uh, Free will, by the way, is often put in juxtaposition and... and, uh, with its other side, which would be Calvinism, which is everything is God set up ahead of time. You have no choice. Um, I believe there's somewhere in between there, but I lean far more toward the free will side of that seesaw than I do over to Calvinism. Um, In fact, straight and strict Calvinism appalls me. But moving, and by the way, they normally don't put Calvinism. They'll say reformed, a reformed faith. That's what they're talking about is Calvinism, right? Okay, back to free will. Of course, free will is a gift, Where does that fit with the Holy Spirit as in value? The Holy Spirit's more valuable because in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one that pricks our consciences. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides us when we're not wanting to be guided and when we are. And the Holy Spirit is the one that instructs us. So look at it this way. You have, uh, you're American, so you have a firearm. You don't have to pull them out and wave them. We just assume you know, we, you're in America. We assume you got one. Um, that's a gift. It was a gift from your um, your forefathers, if you if you go with that interpretation, and therefore you have it. Okay. What are the rules about how to use it? I would say the rules are actually a greater gift. It's the same with a car. And there's a little video. It's like five minutes long, called. Uh, tips for Driving in Scotland. And now it's a serious video made, and, and they do tell some jokes in it, little funny bits, but it's, it's not a parody. It really is for tourists to explain what they do. And they spend like 15 seconds on the roundabout. And I'm going, no, go back to that one. Because no American knows how to go about a roundabout. I've gone around the circle out there, I don't know how many times to try to show you, And we have a traffic circle in Spring Hill that they've allowed landscaping to grow up to where you can't see anything coming from the left. And they assume, well, nobody would do that. Oh yes, they would. I believe having a vehicle is a great gift, but the rules of the road to instruct me and guide me is even greater, because that allows me to use this gift in a safe way, or a firearm in a safe way, or gas stove in a safe way. Or medication that has stuff on the side saying, here's how you take it, here's when you take it, here's what you don't do when you take it. This is a gift greater than the meds because the meds could kill me without this gift, therefore it's a higher gift. Do you understand what I mean? Um, hope you do. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes, helps us take our gift and not do, as Tim and I do, use free will to... to Make horrible issues, horrible situations, horrible decisions. Um, as I've said before, Tim, almost all of my scars are self-inflicted. It's not like God's drugged me behind a car. No, this is me. And yet, the Holy Spirit is higher because he's our guide. It's a wonderful question. And, he, and also, when we're in the throes of not understanding the situation, he prays for us, if you remember that. Was your hand. Yes, sir. You're right. The only reason Thomas asked for it is he's the only one didn't see it. Uh, And the other ones didn't see it because they were better. They're in that room because they were the more afraid than Thomas. Uh, And by the way, heroes, I'm not saying Thomas wasn't afraid. What I'm saying is he did not let fear be the thing that killed him. That's what heroes are like. By the way, heroes don't hate being called Heroes. Cause they were just so, as one guy told me, I was just more afraid than anybody else in that foxhole. He <laughs> said, so that's why I got out and ran and went forward. There's a hand back. Yes, Randy. I'm so free will, but... Yeah, uh, yes. God has given us free will for us to be able to make decisions, and I would add some brackets to that, but I'm going to let you finish. The, uh, looks to me like God to us okay, you say human spirit. Can you is there a way you could define that for me because I don't know that term? The Bible talks about the of man. Okay. Yeah. Um Okay, can, can the will of man be part of the spirit which God has given us? Now, if, if Dr. Lemons was here today, he'd be waving the mic at me, uh, and I'd let him take it, because I know what he'll first say, and that is the part of you which is alive that you share in common with animals and butterflies is soul in Scripture. We always get this wrong. We always think it's spirit and soul's the eternal bit. Soul is is the living essence, let's say. Your spirit is what, is in the form of God and the likeness after God. And it's that which we will live forever. There are a couple times in scriptures that they flip those because human beings do. But that's, that's the main. Could our will be part of our free will? I'm trying to figure out exactly where you're going with this, Randy. Um, let me put it to you this way. The Holy Spirit hunts us. The Holy Spirit draws us. All of this and would have to use our will in this when I say I'm not I'm on the teeter-totter but I'm closer to free will by far what I mean is this I'm not an absolutist on free will because I did, was never there was never a time in my life I had it an absolute free will um, I was born in a place that affects everything does it not that you weren't born in Uganda, or Darfur, or Syria, that affects things. It affects what you are able to will in your life. I was born with this particular body, the, the American myth of you can be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. I can never play American football for college or pros. Not with this thing not even back when I was young and healthy, because I didn't didn't look any better then, and I wasn't any taller, it wouldn't have worked. I was born with a genetic makeup that I would trade sometimes for about anybody else's genetic makeup. My brain doesn't work like a normal brain, and that's not a brag, that's a lament, but it's true. I watched my eight-year-old grandson playing soccer yesterday, and he is a force with which to be reckoned. And so he's moved from neighborhood leagues now to Tennessee. The Tennessee uh, soccer, whatever they call it, recruited him, and he's eight years old, to play on these teams that they train to kind of work up through the system. And I watch him because whenever he plays, he seems to be off to the side. Watching, and a couple of times his coach even said, "You're hiding, Fenn. You're hiding." He calls him Fenny because they have a Fen, so he's Fenny. You're hiding, and Fenn doesn't move when he's directed in, because I know what Fenn's doing. He's watching, and when there's a seam or development, boom! Nobody moves faster. He scored three of their five goals. The first one in the first eight seconds, and nobody sees him coming. I showed. Um, Barb, some of the pictures from from yesterday, and she remarked, Most of the time, he doesn't have a single foot on the ground. I'm going, Yeah, I know. (laughs) He's on our side, though. The point I'm trying to make is his brain works that way. He sees what the other ones don't, he knows where it's going to be next. And at eight years old, he can put himself into position. That's genetic and training, right? I don't have that skill. I don't see what he sees. Therefore, my free will is limited. If I tell Kami, you know what? I'd like to climb Everest. Not gonna happen. I'll get airsick on the way there. So there is isn't absolute free will, if you understand what I mean. But does that mean God has made all of my decisions for me? Absolutely not. I could not blame him for the things I have said and done. By the way, here, John gives the reason for this book. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, these verses seem to be out of place. One would assume that this comes at the very end. A couple of things, though, that we need to bring up about the book of John. One... We've already come across a part of John that wasn't a part of John. Do you remember what it is? The story of the woman caught in adultery that they were going you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone is not in any of the early manuscripts. It shows up about 100 years later. Now, do I believe that, and by the way, look in your Bibles. uh, If you have a Bible... um, doesn't matter really, even King James normally will have a little note anymore saying not in the early manuscripts. Um, Does that frighten me or does it make me think it's illegitimate? No, no. I think it was a story John didn't write but the people felt was so valuable they saved and they put it in. And John very well may have stopped right here and somebody else picked up the pen later. Remember it doesn't say It starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... It doesn't say, this is John, and everything here I'm writing. What is John? The book of John is a collection of the stories that aren't in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those books are already written. And perhaps another book that they call Q, for for Kel, meaning um, a source. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke absorb so much. And in November, when we do the parables... We're actually, I'm going to actually have a chart printed in the eblast to show you which Gospels have which parables, which do not, which are unique. And, it, and it's really interesting to see the borrowing. If you don't have that kind of time, read 2 Peter, and then read Jude, and then read 2 Peter again. It's obvious they talk to each other. Because they use some of the same phrasing and stories. It's, it's actually amazing. And that won't take you long. Um, John was written because the other apostles were dying, and he didn't want some of these stories to die. There are no parables in John. Not one. And every miracle is unique in John. Doesn't mean they weren't said in the others. Almost none of them were. But the parables in John are all creative power. Where, for example, water to wine that's not speeding up time that can't be done via chemical or process there's a creation that had to take place there's always a creation aspect to john's miracles he wanted to get these stories down and if you read first john you see him even shrinking them further to love one another and so now we can see that this does not frighten me it should not frighten you uh, if you were kind of like the ending of the book of Mark, uh, don't think that was around for a while. Um, it ended with the crucifixion because they knew the rest of the story. Other groups had to come along and say, they didn't, they didn't pull uh, Mel Gibson and end the movie with the crucifixion. You know, they, uh, Yes, give Mel credit. He does show a bit of a leg as, there, as, as Jesus rises up and it's over. Uh, I kept thinking... We needed more of that. We need more of the hope. The gore, I get. Gibson tends to like gore for some reason, aka, or rather, EGC uh, Braveheart. You know, we could have just done with, you know, and the battle didn't go well for him. Have a nice time. Eat your popcorn. But no, we have to go further. There were many other signs. Well, there was an unfortunate thing which occurred here, but it's not unusual by any stretch. And that is, people decided, oh, let's fill in those gaps. Without knowledge, they wrote books about things that didn't happen, but they were holy books. They were holy fiction. Have you ever read holy fiction? Because people do write it. They write Christian fiction, which makes God do things and say things that, eh, I'm not really sure if he did or not. Frank Peretti, back in the 80s, wrote This Present Darkness, which I really like. I like that book. Piercing the Darkness, pretty good. I like that one, too then wrote some more, and I'm going, it's time to move on, and he did, I don't mean to diss the guy, the guy wrote some amazing stuff, and as far as I know, was still writing amazing stuff, point is, we call that holy fiction, what we don't do is say, this is a gospel of Peter on the top of it, and back then they did, because the it wasn't considered wrong back then, it wasn't considered wrong to say, this is from the, you know, this is from Peter. If I hung around with Peter or Peter's people or people who used to be Peter's people, you would put your name on it or their name on it. And it wasn't wrong. We look at that and say, well, how could that possibly not be wrong? The same way that they change the time of things. If you read the Gospels, every now and then atheists will go, aha, look, here he said it was in the morning, here it was in the afternoon, here this happened first, then there that happened first. They're changing the order to make a point. Well, that's that's not honest. It's not honest today to Semitic people. They still do it because this is the way they understand things. They move the stories around to make a point. It's, It's hard for us to remember. This is not our stuff. It's their stuff. We're reading their mail. But other people came along. The Gospel of Thomas is a Gnostic gospel written pretty early, probably late 200s, early 300s that claims to be from Thomas, and, and it's so obtuse. It's so weird. Gospel of Peter, um, there are actually three or four Gospels of Peter out there, and I'm not gonna try to differentiate. The point being, oh, uh, the childhood Gospel, which has Jesus doing stuff like, he was sitting there making some, um, some birds out of clay, and he would throw them in the air, and they became alive. And all of his classmates were worshiping the, the seven-year-old Jesus. Another one made fun of something he did, and then he killed him, struck him dead, and they all worshiped him. And I'm going, no. I remember last week I told you that the, the British have this whole hem thing going that Jesus once walked in Breton because Joseph of Arimathea took him up there. Is it possible? Yeah. But if Jesus had a choice, he wouldn't have gone to England. Gone up Scotland. Anyway. Anyway, just be aware. In fact, the, the, all of that discourse, Matthew 24, Jesus warns that there will be people that will say, there he is, there he is, there he is. Do not listen to them. And that can apply to people and books and movements, like um, the Moonies. That's not the correct. The Unification Church. That's, the, that's their correct title, yeah. Their leader said he was Jesus. And we all knew that's not true because their leader was Korean and we all know he was a nice Western white guy. We saw the pictures. If you can't see that on, the, um, video, uh, on audio only, I've just smacked myself twice. It was, it was violent. It was very dramatic. It's kind of like, and yet there's more. This comes up after the credits. You ever, I love that, by the way. You, you're at a movie and the credits are rolling and you're about to get up and oh, there's something else. Uh, I love blooper reels most, but sometimes uh, there's more to the story. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Let me check my time. Oh, we're way over time. I'm sorry. Go away. Save yourselves. We'll finish it next week.